never will be. So along with the good days, you're going to experience the whole range of painful emotions that make us human. This means that you'll wake up three in the morning searching your breasts for lumps. You'll worry that your daughter has once again dropped out of her drug treatment program, that your partner is getting bored with you, that you'll end up a bag lady if you leave your job, that your memory is getting worse with each passing day, and that possibly you're going crazy. You can make your own list. No one is immune to the grip of anxiety, fear, and shame, the big three that muck up our lives. These are the uninvited guests. When tragedy or hardship hits, they may become our constant companions. I bristle at feverishly inspirational books that make large and silly promises. Break free from fear and you'll soar like an eagle, reverse the aging process, attract a bevy of wildly sexy and appreciative lovers to your side. I believe it's arrogant and deeply dishonest to tell people that they can transform their own reality no matter how dreadful their circumstances. Of course, each of us can move in the direction of experiencing less fear and more calmness, love, and peace. This is a worthwhile and entirely possible venture. With practice, we can also change our habitual ways of thinking. We can't stop bad things from happening but we can stop our relentless focus on how things were or how we want them to be. And we can develop a deeper appreciation for what we have now. There is no quick fix, however, when it comes to managing fear and suffering, or even for coping with the simple stresses of ordinary life. Fear is not something to be conquered or eliminated or even tackled for that matter. Instead, we need to pay close attention to its message. Most of us experience fear as a kind of stop sign or flashing red light that warns, danger, do not enter. But we may need to decode that signal. What is the actual nature of the danger? Is it past or present, real or imagined? Are we feeling anxious because we are boldly charting new territory or because we're about to do something really stupid? Sometimes we feel a stab of fear or a wave of anxiety because our unconscious is warning us that we are truly off track. Maybe we shouldn't rush into a particular job, conversation, trip, marriage, or divorce. Sometimes fear operates as a wise protector, one we need to honor and respect. Yet if fear was always a legitimate warning signal, we might never show up for a doctor's appointment, speak up when we feel passionate about something, or leave a dead-end relationship. There are times when we need to push past our dread and resolve with our hearts pounding in our chests to act. At still other times, we may need to identify the actual sources of our fear, past and present, that may be obscured from our view. 
For example, the anxiety that washes over you when you contemplate confronting your spouse may mask an ancient terror of speaking up to your father when you were a child. Clarifying these deeper sources of anxiety may help you to talk straightforwardly to your partner. Fear is a message, sometimes helpful, sometimes not, but often conveying critical information about our beliefs, our needs, and our relationship to the world around us. There's another kind of fear we need to decode, the fear we don't feel at all, at least not consciously. When we can't fully face our anxiety and feel it and clarify its sources, we tend to act it out instead. We may attack a colleague, nag our child for the 12th time, work all weekend on a project that was good enough on Friday afternoon, all the while convincing ourselves that these responses are totally rational and warranted. When anxiety is chronically high, it leads to more serious outcomes. Greed, bigotry, scapegoating, violence, and other forms of cruelty. In today's anxious times, on both the personal and political fronts, ideas are embraced and decisions are made not on the basis of clear thinking that considers both history and the future, but rather on the basis of hearts filled with fear. We owe it to ourselves and to others to learn how to recognize behaviors that reflect anxiety and escalate anxiety so that we can manage our own anxiety so it doesn't get played out in hurtful ways. We may believe that anxiety and fear don't concern us because we avoid experiencing them. We may keep the scope of our lives narrow and familiar, opting for sameness and safety. We may not even know that we are scared of success, failure, rejection, criticism, conflict, competition, intimacy, or adventure because we don't test the limits of our competence and creativity. We avoid anxiety by avoiding risk and change. Our challenge? To be willing to become more anxious by embracing new situations and stepping more fully into our lives. On September 11th, fear barreled straight into the heart of our national psyche. September 11th was not the first time that many Americans, especially members of disenfranchised groups, had felt themselves to be potential targets of hatred and random brutality. Yet the attacks on 9-11 were obviously not just another fear-producing event. The nature and scope of the devastation, along with its moment-by-moment -moment documentation on television, the subsequent wars and their aftermath, and repeated White House predictions of imminent terrorist attacks produced a level of national dread that is unprecedented. 
at the same time, this national diagnosis of anxiety and grief engendered, at least initially, an experience of deeply felt connection, a sense that we were all in it together. Both in New York City and around the country, citizens coped with the catastrophe collectively and reported feeling more connected to friends, family, even strangers. Those who suffered losses knew that millions of people were feeling for them. Simply say September 11th, and nearly every American understands, as do people throughout the world. The enormity of the experience has been acknowledged everywhere. By contrast, when something terrible happens to you as an individual, your fears may go unspoken, unheard, or even disbelieved. Even close friends and family may not want to hear your experience, or they may communicate that they don't want to hear all of it. In response, you may begin to feel isolated and disconnected. You may feel shame about your honest fear and suffering and for your failure to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and march forward in the ever-resolute, can-do American way. You may wonder why you were chosen for tragedy or whether you did something wrong to bring it about. These sorts of private crises are especially apt to trigger not only fear and anxiety, but also the other uninvited guests, such as shame, loneliness, and depression.